Recovery Elevator, episode 411. That helps me a lot. It's, uh, it, it's, it's not a failure of me. It's the side effect of this horrible disease. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, Welcome wiki. to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's podcast, we have Lisa. She's 65 years old from Atlanta, Georgia, and took her last drink on November 17th of 2022 this year. Great job, Lisa. All right, dry January is upon us. Our official class is tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and it's not too late to sign up. We meet 13 more times live via Zoom in January, and we have got a rock star group with us. Link is in the show notes to sign up and for more information. Thank you, Robin. Let's talk sober travel for a second. We've still got spots left for our annual AF trip, which has taken place this April 12th to the 21st in Costa Rica. We've got the beach, a surf lesson, paddle boarding, wildlife, and mango smoothies await. Link is in the show notes to learn more and sign up. Thank you, Robin. Now, I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe RE chat hosts. You do such a great job. Speaking of Cafe RE, let's hear from my favorite resource on this alcohol-free journey, Cafe RE. For years, I tried to control my drinking on my own, but I always felt alone and like I needed something else. When I discovered Cafe RE, I realized there were so many people just like me looking for a better life. Cafe RE is a private, unsearchable Facebook group that provides 24-7 access to a community of people whose goal it is to live a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find authentic connection, love, and encouragement. With supportive and educational chats hosted throughout the week, there are plenty of opportunities to connect with others on the same path. Cafe RE is a place where we grow and learn together. And with golden rule number 22, we have a lot of fun while doing it. For just $24 a month, you'll have access to the community, all of our online chats, the opportunity to attend in-person meetups, get discounts on sober travel trips, and get the chance to be assigned an accountability partner if you'd like. 10% of monthly membership even goes towards our service project, where we partner with nonprofits to help those affected by addiction. Head over to recoveryelevator.com and use the promotional code opportunity to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. We hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. I remember when I first started going to AA, there was this guy, let's call him Jim, who would preface every share with, Hello, my name is Jim, and I'm a grateful alcoholic. I remember the first time I heard Jim say this. I almost put my hand up to say, I got it, everybody, meaning I was going to walk across the room and slap Jim in the face. Obviously, I didn't do this, but every time Jim shared, he started by saying, my name is Jim. I'm a grateful alcoholic. This would confuse me. It would bewilder me. Above all, it angered me. I simply could not understand what the hell Jim was talking about. Grateful to be an alcoholic. Is he on the AA payroll? Is membership down? What am I missing? Because clearly I am missing something. Because the thought of anyone being thankful or grateful for being an alcoholic, which can carry quite a stigma, was not tracking with me. It did not land with me. I just didn't get it. I couldn't comprehend this for several years, in fact. But I stuck around. I kept coming back, as they say in AA. So AA, along with this podcast, was a huge part of my recovery when I first quit drinking in 2014. I heard Jim, the grateful alcoholic, share dozens of times. I got to know Jim, and this is what he means when he says he's a grateful alcoholic. Jim loves his life today. Jim's life is going well. According to Jim, he would not have the life he has today had it not have been for alcohol. Had it not have been through the self-discovery process that the addiction forces us to embark upon if we wish to quit drinking, then Jim would not have the life that he has today. Jim recognizes it was the alcohol addiction that forced him to make much needed changes in his life. And the biggest change was to quit drinking. And after that, it's, it's all just minor details. Now, listeners, this morning, I received a message from a friend of mine named Chris. It said, 
It's funny, I was teetering on being at the point of saying thank you to my addiction. Now, my friend Chris, who was around the three-year sobriety mark, was commenting on the neat opportunities in his life that has only come to be through quitting drinking. Now, listeners, the best part about doing Recovery Elevator by far is watching people have success with their decision to quit drinking. But when I hear somebody say they are grateful for their drinking problem, wow, that's level 10 type stuff. It's fantastic. Great job, Chris. With me, around the three to four year mark, I also began expressing gratitude for my own drinking problem, for the alcohol addiction that nearly killed me. In my book, Alcohol is Shit, I talk about how an alcohol addiction is actually an invitation to step into a more authentic life. We can't see that because it's usually phrased around the parameters of this is a major effing problem. But in reality, it's not a problem. It's the messenger. It's the signpost. So the addiction isn't the problem. The addiction is the signpost saying that something is very out of balance in your life. Now, we can't fight the addiction because it's the messenger. We need to listen to the addiction as it's trying to guide us into a more authentic, altruistic way of living. There was a chapter in my life where I had incorrectly labeled the addiction or drinking problem as a failure. In fact, I lost tens of thousands of dollars when I walked away from my bar in Spain. I lost everything for the most part. But without these failures or major life challenges, I would not have the life I have today. In fact, I am grateful for them. Uh-oh, there we go. So real quick about failures, they don't exist. They are learning opportunities, but we got to call them something. So let me read to you a list of failures, that's air quotes there, um, of this historical person. In 1832, fired from a job and defeated for state legislator. 1833, failed in business and went bankrupt. 1835, his sweetheart died. 1836, had a nervous breakdown. 1838, defeated for speaker. 1843, defeated for nomination of Congress. We're not done yet. 1848, lost renomination. 1849, rejected for land officer. 1854, defeated for U.S. Senate. 1856, defeated for nomination for vice president. We're not done. 1858, defeated for U.S. Senate. And then 1860, elected the 16th president of America. What's up, Abe Lincoln? Now, abolishing slavery in America was no small task and it needed to be done. Thank you, Abe Lincoln, for not quitting and for keeping showing up. In a memoir, Lincoln says that he's thankful for all these failures or troubling times in his life. He says that through these failures, he was training the whole time. Now, listeners, the key takeaway from this episode is keep moving forward. Do not give up. Don't quit quitting. Keep quitting drinking. So something beautiful is in the works, and I want you to trust the process. You are training for the next stage of your life. You're building the physical, emotional, and spiritual foundation for the second chapter of your life. Give it time. You may not be thankful for your throws with alcohol today, but keep showing up. Keep listening to this podcast, to other podcasts. The miracles, and yes, that's plural, are right around the corner. Something great is unfolding in the background, something you will be thankful for. And here's a push. Maybe you can find things to be thankful for even if you're at day zero, day one, two, three. You get the point. So back to Jim, the grateful alcoholic. Thank you, Jim, for speaking your truth. Yes, I wanted to throw hot coffee in your direction every time you said you're a grateful alcoholic, but now I get it as I am also grateful for the role that alcohol has played in my life. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Lisa. In a perfect world, we all want to feel our best at all times. However, through life and recovery, I've had to learn to accept the wobbles that come with this journey. You've all heard me talk about my dip days. For me, managing these has come hand in hand with using tools that I have learned through therapy. I love knowing that I have agency and that even when I'm not feeling great, I can feel empowered to take positive action. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient and flexible. Also, it's entirely online. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Elevator. Lisa, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? Lisa, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. I'm excited to get to know you and share your story with the Recovery Elevator audience. Lisa, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? The last drink was November 17th, so just a little over three weeks at the time of this recording. Yeah, Lisa, fantastic on a little over three weeks. How does that feel? Oh, it feels wonderful, relieving, liberating, comforting, every every positive thought I could hope for. Fantastic. I'm excited to learn how you logged those three weeks alcohol-free and also the story your journey that led you up to the decision to uh, saying alcohol's got to go. And listeners, Lisa contacted me a a significant amount of time ago. It said, and I remember she asking, hey, can you guide me towards listeners who are are older in age? I think you're 65. And then I got an email from her a little while ago. It said, then it dawned on me, maybe I can be that person for somebody else um, around that age point. So Lisa, let's do it. (laughs) I'm excited to know more about you and your journey. Let's get into this. Lisa, if you could give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, if you have a family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay. I'm 65 years old and I live in the Atlanta area. I'm married to a wonderful man of 36 years. We have two adult kids. Um, They're wonderful and we're a close family. For fun, I like to uh, read. I love to travel. We do a lot of international travel, sure, the the lockdown for a couple of years. Um, I love, well, I don't love, I like working out. I make myself work out. I love the feeling afterwards. I really enjoy nature. I've got a great um, subdivision with a park in the middle, so I love walking around and just seeing the deer and the stream that runs through it. I find that very comforting. I enjoy spending time with friends and I absolutely love spending time with my family. Lisa, I heard 36 years of marriage. That's incredible. I am hitting about seven months of marriage. Any advice for me? Oh, just, you know, for us, fortunately, it's been pretty easy, but we just can accept each other's differences. We don't have to agree to agree. I mean, we can, we can agree to disagree and talk through it. And we just try to be each other's best friend accept each other's differences, not try to control or change the other person. I love it. Thank you very much. I also like what you said about working out. I went for a run yesterday um, after a repose from running, shall we say, that first half mile, I was like, does anybody like doing this? Why why am I doing this? So sometimes you just got to force yourself out there for a bit. Exactly. Uh, Also, what what kind of stuff do you read? I think you said you like reading. Well, right now, well, I love um, Nelson DeMille and Baldacci, but of recent, I've been reading and rereading um, Annie Grace's book, The Naked Mind, and just lots of um, just even Facebook post things. I've really been hung up on just reading a lot of that and inspirational things. So those are kind of the books from a book standpoint. That's what I enjoy. Okay. Lisa referenced Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, a book that came out, I think 2015, 16, around there maybe even 14 or 13. But prior to that, most of the literature or the guidance or teachings or recovery practices was always tethered or anchored to 12-step. That book uh, came out. I don't think she had much experience with 12-step, which I don't think was a bad thing at all. And it really opened the door or the box for so many people. And I think she coined the term sober. Curious. Um, Listener's fantastic book, uh, Annie Grace, This Naked Mind. Let's, uh, Let's get into this. Um, Lisa, when did you first recognize that alcohol was no longer serving you? Oh, it's been such a long journey. I'm just, um, you know, my first, my very first drink I remember was, you know, when I was probably in fourth or fifth grade, it was just, you know, playing around with my girlfriend and my parents had a backyard barbecue and we, you know, had some beer and that was it. But then the next, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade high school, you know, messed around with alcohol on the weekends And in the 20s, you know, it continued 30s, 40s, 50s. And what really, to answer your question directly, it was when I turned just almost 50 years old, when I had a really scary experience that shook me up and realized, oh, my God, this is, I always knew I drank abnormally, but this was an eye opener for me. 
I woke up one morning and my face was numb. And I got up and looked at myself in the mirror and the bottom of my face was black and blue. And I opened my mouth and it was just same thing, black and blue. And I had no idea what in the heck happened. And um, I really thought I was, this is so stupid in retrospect. I thought I was having an allergic reaction to something because of the numbness. And my husband suggested, you know, that I go to urgent care. It was a Sunday. So, you know, regular doctors weren't open. I went to urgent care and told them I was having an allergic reaction, which was a good answer because there were about 10 people in the lobby and they took me right in. And the doctor looked at me and he said, you had a blackout. And I honestly didn't even know what a blackout was. I said, what is that? And he explained it to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, because I had had plenty of wine the night before. So he said, you obviously fell. And I had zero recollection of that fall. And um, he handed me a card and it was a card to a drug, a person who worked, a recovery person for drugs and alcohol. And I thought, okay, I've got to go to him. And I did. And it was interesting because um, that was my first recollection that I really had a problem. And it scared me enough to push myself into action. I'll never forget I was in a room and when he had a small group of people recovering and this is after my one-on-one and I was the only female amongst maybe eight or 10 men who were probably all 250 pounds, tattoos, you know, some missing in their teeth. It was just a real rough group. I think, you know, he dealt a lot of, with a lot of people who, you know, had been, you know, DUIs released from jail, motorcycle people, not to knock motorcycle people, but it was just a rough, rough group. And one of the guys said, you need to go to AA. And I'll never forget my answer. I said, I'm not an AA type of person. And boy, did they jump on me. And they, they tried to, they asked me, what is an AA type of person? And I couldn't answer the question. So I promised the group that I would go to AA. And I did. And I stayed sober for a year. And I had a couple of sponsors, maybe a few sponsors, but it, and it worked for me for a while, but I never really worked it like I was supposed to. And my AA sponsors weren't all that good either. And I never felt comfortable in that group, but it got me through a year. And then like many other people's stories, I thought I got a year behind me. I can manage this. And, you know, the rest is history, but that was 50. So 15 years ahead Today, three weeks ago, it's not just three weeks ago. It was the last two or three years I realized I don't just, I can't. It's becoming an everyday thing. And it really scared me. And I prayed to God. I have a strong faith in God. And I would pray, God, you know, help me do for me what I can't do for myself. And I couldn't understand why he wasn't answering my prayers. I was getting very frustrated. And it finally dawned on me, well, because I'm not doing what I need to do. It's not a guarantee he's going to help me because I ask, I've got to do the work. So there was no rock bottom this time. I just really decided I've got to do this because, and I'll add, I've noticed over the last year or two, some things going on with my health. And then I uh, listened to the, is it Huberman, the podcast? Is that yeah, Andrew Huberman Lab podcast. Huberman. He is a Stanford neuroscientist. He had a fantastic episode, listeners, probably two or three months ago about the effects of alcohol. Uh, two yeah. and a half hours of just solid gold information. It was wonderful. And I think if I recall, because I'm going to go back and re-listen to it. I think it was number 86 for those that are listening, I think. But anyway, and then I also, of course, with the Annie Grace book, and I realized I have done so much, I, I have blamed, quite frankly, so much of my physical ailments on um, age. You know, I'm 65. Of course, I have aches and pains. You know, I've got, I have acid reflux. I have, I just had a um, bone scan, a bone density scan, and it's bad. And now I know, now granted, the age may have something to do with it, but I really, really believe that so much of my pain and ailments have to do with alcohol consumption. And I just had to, I realized I'm going to live or die. And I decided, I, I mean, not decided, I've always wanted to live. I'm a very overall positive, upbeat, optimistic person, but I can't continue on this path or I will die. And sure. I don't want to do that to myself or to my family or to those that love me. 
and that I love. Lisa, let me back it up a little bit. You said when at age 50, sounds like you had a significant event in your life, your first blackout, you bruised a section of your face, but you said something in there that you were drinking more than you should have in the first place. I, I don't know if those are exact words, but let, how much were you drinking? And did you know at that time that your drinking was irregular or maybe the writing was on the wall that something was out of balance? I've always known it's out of balance, but um, from my 20s, I grew up in a, um, my mother was an alcoholic, pretty dysfunctional, kind of dysfunctional, but there was love, but it was dysfunctional. And, you know, it's interesting because I used alcohol for different reasons at different times in my life to satisfy or to fix different things going on with me. So I've always known um, in my 20s, 30s that where everybody else, not everybody, but most people, you know, could stop. I was never content, you know, when that bottle of wine at dinner was done, I would always want more, whether I got it at that time, you know, was another story. I think, you know, it tapered off, I think in the thirties after I, you know, when I had kids, of course I mm -hmm. didn't during pregnancy or, you know, nursing, but um, then, but, and then became social. But even then I was aware because I was you know, I always wanted more. So it just was a progressive thing. And it was really, and I kept a journal. I wrote down a journal after I went this route three weeks ago, I core dumped in a journal and I wrote a list of everything I could think of from fourth grade, uh, from my childhood, early childhood on. And, you know, I realized that so much of this, you know, drinking is, you know, tied to specific, specific things that were going on in my life. But the last two years just, it took off. It, there was a slingshot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other significant event in my life when it slingshot was that when I retired in 2015, my whole identity was so tied up with my work. My, um, I, was, I was very good at it. I was a hard worker. Uh, people counted on me. They needed me. And I think that's when it really started going downhill, quite honestly. I lost my identity. And where most people just love to be retired. My, my, I was in business with my husband. We were in a small business. He loved it. He thrived on it and still does today. But for me, it took a long time. I'm, I'm there now. I'm, I'm good with the retirement part, but I lost my identity and, you know, I never didn't feel like I was needed anymore or, you know, I had the, the responsibilities that I so thrived on. And that's when it started going downhill. And then as we know, you know, it's, it's a disease the brain just took over and did what it does to anybody who continues down this path ultimately. Yeah. Lisa, I want to, there's a lot to unpack there, but I want to go back to the year after you, so you got a year away from alcohol, you went to AA, you said a couple sponsors, and then you said, you know what, I think I've got this under control. And what we say on this podcast is the three most dangerous words is I got this. Uh -huh. And here we are episode. I think this is 410, 11, 12. And I, I have yet to hear in the long term of a successful, I got this, where people moderate and uh, and and they almost defy the natural progression of this illness, disease, this dis-ease, whatever you want to call it. But talk to us about those 14 years before it got to the point where you said it happened every day, the lack of identity. And I want to talk about the identity thing in a moment, but talk to us about those 14 years where it seems to me like it was okay for a while. You mean the 14 years at before I... Oh, okay. At, from like age 51 to 65. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good question because it, it, it just kind of happened so fast. I think those 15 years, I just think that I escaped with liquor. It was my answer to stress. It was my answer to anxiety. I never drank during the day. It was always at night. And it was then probably that I started hiding it in my closet. I don't think I really did that until then. I didn't have, bottom line, I didn't have the coping skills to deal with the lack of identity. The, I didn't know who I was anymore and I didn't have the coping skills to handle that. I was sad, I was lonely. Even though I was married and he's my best friend, that's not the same, you know? a day in, day out, needed, needing to be needed in the workplace and being very successful at it. So I don't, it's kind of a blur, quite honestly, but I do know that it, you know, it led up to it just getting out of control. And I remember 
being in my closet with the wine, not wanting it. This is just recently not wanting it, thinking, what in the heck are you doing? You're pouring a glass of wine that you don't even want. What is going on? Hmm. And I was so scared and so confused. But oh. now I know because I know it's a disease of the brain and I know what has gone on in my brain. And that helps me. That helps me a lot. It's, uh, it, it's, it's not a failure of me. It's the side effect of this horrible disease. Sure. And Lisa, you mentioned something earlier that I want to expand a bit on. You said you were drinking because A, you lacked the coping mechanisms. But before before that, you said it was there was almost these pains. I don't think you said the word traumas, but because there was reasons in your life, the stresses, anxieties. I think it's important as we go on this journey to, to start exploring the why, like what's the source? Yes, it's al alcohol is the most addictive drug on the planet. I agree with that. There's data to back that up, but there's also... There's also a reason why we drink. And a lot of times we hear on these podcasts is when X, you know, large tragedy happened in life, then it ramped up and retirement can actually be that because you said, you said there are our identities and tie are tied up to this. I am this person. I am a banker. I am a lawyer. I'm an accountant, whatnot. And we stop that. It's challenging. And then it, that's a difficult part in anybody's life. I've heard anytime an identity is, is, is threatened or, or challenged. And also on the flip side, quitting drinking. My identity was the alcohol. That was another challenge for me. I used to own a bar. I was that guy who organized the events, the party trips, all that stuff. My identity to quitting drinking, it, it was, it was of drinking. So I understand that. I know a listener, a lot of listeners are also, um, I'm sure are nodding their heads. Yes. On that. Now, Lisa, you said a little over three weeks ago, there wasn't necessarily a rock bottom, but you reached the conclusion that this has got to go. You're pouring a glass of wine that you don't even want. I know it wasn't a rock bottom, but there had to be something, some sort of moment of clarity, like, look, this has got to change. Can can you expand a bit more on that, please? Well, yes. And actually, and I don't know why, or I, I missed a very important point in all of this as far as what kind of led me up to most recently being the problem. Um, as I said earlier, my mom was an alcoholic. She got sober when I was 15, but there was a lot of kind of trauma in the household. No, you know, just from her drinking and, but she, she got sober and about, and then she moved close to me about 18 years ago. We were never close. She's not a terribly emotional person and, you know, touchy feely. And I always was. So it was wonderful having her close. We kind of reconnected, but about the year I read this kind of, I'm, I hope I'm not rambling, but the year that I retired, she fell and had her first fall. She's 92 right now. And the last couple of years, she's gone downhill. So what's really happened in the last year, I had to put her, we had to put her, my sisters and I have three sisters, put her on in, under hospice care, move, sell her house. This was a year ago. She fell, fractured her leg, sell her house, move her into assisted living. And it's five minutes from me. So I'm her primary person. And that has really, really, I think now done a number on me, just the stress of trying to care for her because she's a very negative, unfortunately, sad person. And I've had a really hard time dealing with that. And so every time I go over there, I have this pit in my stomach. I love her dearly, but I have a pit in my stomach because I don't know what I'm going to find. And I walk out of there knowing. I'm going to want to drink at the end of this. Hmm. And that's happened. And I just, you know, three weeks ago, I decided this is, you know, obviously not healthy for me. I've got to develop some coping skills with mom or I'll never get a handle on this. And I just, you know, have prayed. I've, you know, done a lot of things on the side in the last three weeks trying to get to this point. But I realize I can't control her. I'm a control freak as so many alcoholics are. I'm a total control control freak, but I can't control her. I can't make her better. And it's not my job to make her better. I just have to make myself better. And I have to accept who she is for all the reasons that she is. And accepting that has helped me in the last three weeks because it relieves some guilt from me that I'm I'm not able to change her. And you know, it's silly to even think that I could, but, you know, I can't. So that's kind of a lot, I think, in the last couple of years, the stress I've been handling and dealing with. Yeah, there's some major value bombs in that last statement there, Lisa, where you said, can't control, can't change the other person, right? If you've been in recovery for a hot minute, you're going to hear the serenity prayer. 
And then the other part is acceptance. Um, whatever things we can't control in our life, we must reach some some level of acceptance. And um, before AA was a part of my journey, I think this is probably eight or nine years ago, on page 417, there's a passage uh, that says acceptance is the answer. And I remember reading that, just going, God dang it. And I wasn't sober at the time. It's like, gosh, even if I'm struggling so much with alcohol, I still have to find acceptance and find some sort of happiness in in this moment. Because if I'm always fighting this moment, then um, it's going to be a long road ahead. And it was. Um, but eventually, you know, luckily we're both here sober recording a podcast and, and Lisa, you're doing absolutely fantastic. You are. Yeah. And Lisa, in your email, there's something that I want to share with listeners. I'm going to unpack this a bit. You said, I now realize that recovery cannot, should not be a journey that one takes alone. Tell us more about that. Well, in the past, I was never comfortable reaching out for help because I didn't want to fail again. And then have it so known that I failed because I've tried, you know, multi, many, many, many times. And I realized that this time has got to be different. If I'm going to be successful, I've got to do something different. And, and I have, I decided that I need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and I've gotten good with that. And that has helped me a lot. So I've reached out to, I've done several things. Number one, I've gone to AA meetings. I'm, I joined, I'm a, have a Peloton. They have a very good sober Peloton group. So I've gone to some Zoom Peloton meetings. I found a sponsor through the Peloton meeting. Um, I joined Sober Sis, the 19 day or 21 day reset. And that has been helpful. I'm in the middle of that now. I, um, have connected with one gal and that, you know, directly there's different ways that you can connect with people, but, you know, we're still in the early stages of that. So, you know, meeting up with other like people has been very helpful. Your podcast has been wonderful. I've just, I listen to it constantly during my workouts. When I walk, I've listened to the uh, Naked Mind podcast. I am on here, which is so outside of my comfort zone. I've just decided I have to, going back, to be comfortable doing the uncomfortable work. And I really think that's going to be my ticket. I have not yet, by the way, told my husband and you know, sat down and talked to my husband about this journey. I, you know, he knows that I overdrank, but he's not really knowledgeable on this new journey I'm on, but it's not gonna be a secret. I wanna tell him but I want to get my two adult kids there too. And they're coming in this weekend or next, I'll, either this weekend or next weekend. And that'll be my last big hurdle because that'll make me, that'll free me up too. So that it's all out there. I'm transparent. I have no, nothing to lose. Lisa, I absolutely love the line that you said, if I'm going to be successful, I have to do something different. I'm going to say that one more time. If I am going to be successful, I have to do something different. I said those exact same words in 2014. And I know many of those who are listening right now to continue their long-term sobriety have said that. And many of those who are struggling right now, those words are swirling. They're hard words to say. That's when I fully embraced AA in 2014. That's when I launched a project called the Recovery Elevator Podcast. Thank God I'm here eight years later still on my current sober streak with a rock star named Lisa having a great time right now, getting to know her. I absolutely love that. If I want to be successful, I have to try something different. If nothing changes, nothing changes. And the community support there is huge. I, you rattled off like five or six resources, a sober sis. I say that I haven't heard that one yet. That's a new resource. I love it. There are so many community-based programs out there. Now, we now we, we mentioned Annie Grace's Naked Mind, Andrew, uh, Andrew Huberman Lab podcast, fantastic resources, but this is almost the introduction into recovery. You start off alone with a book or a podcast, but eventually I highly recommend you have to take the action and invite others onto your own sober journey or connect with other people because if you're not doing that, you're almost selling yourself short of this beautiful, loving, non-judgmental, super open, authentic community of people called recovery. And we are wired as humans for oxytocin and serotonin and, and epinephrine and all these, all these beautiful chemicals to be released when we connect authentically with other human beings. Now let's talk about the burning the ship point. You said, 
I want to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Now let's do this right now at your own pace. You don't have to do this early January when this podcast comes out, but I encourage you, and a lot of people have done this, they've actually shared this podcast, their interview with their spouse, with with their loved ones. And listeners, I can see Lisa right now, her face is just like, oh shit, I think I know where he's going with this. Where I'm going with this is, hello, husband, what would you like to say to him right now? Oh, goodness. Hello. You mean as, as though I'm telling him about my recovery process? Yeah. Is then I recommend you sharing this podcast with your loved ones and including your husband. Okay. Well, hello, husband. First of all, I'm glad I said nice things about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. In your email as well. You did. Yeah. You're a rock. You're my rock. And I know you love me. And I know that you're going to support me in this journey. And I know you're going to do everything that you can possibly do to help me. And I know you are and will be very proud of me when I continue this journey very successfully. Lisa, well done. I know you were not expecting that, nor was I, (laughs) but that's just where we went. And you don't have to do it, but I recommend you share this interview with with your loved ones, right? Because I feel the healing process, it has to be a collaborative effort. Yes, a group of us called sober people, we get together in rooms, we chat about our challenges, our successes, our failures, all that stuff. But we're also doing our loved ones a disservice by not inviting them to join this incredible intensive healing journey because everybody needs their healing as human beings. Everybody does. So Lisa, fantastic job. I saw your face. You're like, oh shit. No, no, he's not doing, oh, here we go. (laughs) All right. Let's get back on track and you're doing great, Lisa. A couple more questions before we hit the rapid fire round. Lisa, you got over three weeks uh, of alcohol-free time right now. Walk us through a day. Like what's your routine? How are you going to log day 22 or day 23, whatever day you're on? I do have a routine, you know, my starting with my morning coffee, I'm very routine oriented, Um, but I always exercise. I either do my walk with my earphones, my um, pods on and listen to to the um, podcasts or I'll get on the Peloton or the uh, treadmill, but I'll always work out and that really helps. And then, you know, honestly, I, I, work hard to try to fill my time, but I do volunteer work. I help with St. Vincent de Paul and I do case interviews. So I give out money, which is very, to people that are really in need. So that helps me. And I work the food pantry. So I do that each month. I need to find more volunteer work because I know that'll help me too on my journey. You know, I'll walk with friends or by myself, but I'll you know meet friends for coffee I love, you know, just even sometimes in the middle of the day, if I'm feeling just not great, I'll just put, turn on Netflix and just watch right now. It's a Hallmark movie. I'm just (laughs) as corny as they are, that kind of lifts my spirits. And then, you know, today I'll probably just sit back, chill and read. It's a rainy day. So I'm probably not going to do a lot outside, but I do need to find time that more things though to fill my time. That's been my challenge of as of late. You know, I just am trying to take each day as it comes and appreciate where I'm at and pray a lot and journal and do all I can to stay sober. Okay. You just said you pray a lot. And in, in, in this space, we call that a higher power. How has your faith, your higher power, God, as some call it, been helpful for you to quit drinking? He's there. He's, I prayed on the way, you know, I'm at a, actually a library in a conference room here, and I prayed on the way here that he would just you know, give me, you know, the gift of just telling my story without stress and, you know, and I'm feeling good, you know, doing this. Um, He's always there. I don't think I always like his answers. I don't understand his answers, but I know that they're the right ones for what he delivers. I've had a couple of very profound spiritual experiences, which tell me I know he's real and not that I would ever question it, but I just have to rely on him and I know he's going to direct me down the right path. Lisa, how has your life changed in these three plus weeks, emotionally, physically, and mentally without alcohol? That's an excellent question. Emotionally, night and day, I wake up feeling great. I don't worry. I don't stress. I don't wake up in the middle of the night, you know, trying to remember how much of that wine I drank. I feel confident. I've got my self-esteem back. I'm proud of myself. I love myself for what I've done. Um, Physically, 
I still have, I have, I've done some physical damage. You know, I have a lot of aches and pains and inflammation. I'm thinking that's a little bit better. I think that's going to take time with my acid reflux, which has gotten pretty bad. I coughed constantly and I'm seeing some improvement in that. So from a physical standpoint, I think I'm doing better. I think that's going to take time. I mean, there was a lot of damage done over 50 year, 45 years. So I'm on the right path. And, but the emotional part of it, you know, I was, I, that pink cloud, I really felt this time and it was, it's been such a, so I know what everybody is talking about when they say that I see it wearing off a little bit as the reality is getting in there and that's okay. That's okay. I just need to work through this now that I've got more tools in my toolbox and, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic for the future. Lisa, last question before the rapid fire round. Have you had cravings in the last three weeks? And then what do you do when you experience cravings? <laughs> really, I haven't. The only, only time I've thought, oh my God, I'm going to be in trouble potentially is I was watching some Netflix show and there was a group, um, um, a family on vacation in Maui and they were all pouring wine. And I'm like, oh, that looks so good. And then it, I leapfrogged ahead thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do when I travel? Because we you know, just got back from a burgundy wine tasting tour. You know, am I going to no longer be fun? But other than that, I have had no cravings. In fact, I'm almost repulsed by it because I play. I just know what it's doing to my body and my brain. Now that I know what it's doing and the damage it's doing and how I've seen my body react to it, it kind of nauseates me a bit. Listeners, I want to say one thing before we go to the rapid fire round. Rock bottom moments, they're relative. And I know when I began this journey, I wanted everything to be fit to fit into a box. Say, oh, it's got to be a DUI job loss and X, Y, and Z before you know, all right, it's time to go. For some people, I was hearing your story at age 50, went to the doctor, blacked out, and that's enough, right? And And I love it. I have a lot of respect for people that have you know, that one, one thing and they're done. I blacked out hundreds and hundreds of times and had hundreds of bruises and and sometimes broken bones. So listeners, if you're hearing this, I don't want you to put a label of it's time to quit drinking of X, Y, Z. Everybody's rock bottom moments are, are relative. And sometimes that emotional pain after just sending one inappropriate text message that you're blacked out is enough, right? But there's Ask yourself how many how many guidance or how how much writing on the wall, how many nudges, how many pointers, how many invitations do you need before you recognize it's time to quit drinking? Okay, Lisa, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 10 to 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. What's the one thing you've learned about yourself in sobriety? That I can muster up the courage and energy to do the hard things. That's... Mm. I'm stronger than I realized I was. Best sober moment. Best sober moment. Oh my goodness. The best sober moment, even though it's been only three weeks, I have a friend who was in need and she wanted to go to coffee and talk. And I could sit there for four hours and just listen to her, listen to her tell me what was bothering her. And I don't think I could have done that. I would have been too impatient, too anxious. And I did it. I was there for her. You could be there sober, present, grounded for somebody yep. else in need. Lisa, what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? I'm still working on that. I, I'm a big just water and lemon drinker. I've done the uh, cranberry and seltzer with lime. Those are really the only two things. I personally need to stay away, I think, from the alcohol-free beers and wines. I'm afraid that would be a trigger. So right now I'm good with that and then my hot teas. Lisa, what's the point of life? Oh, gosh. To be, to love and to be loved and to just be happy and appreciate everything that comes our way every single day. What's your favorite 70s, 80s, or 90s band? I'm so glad you asked the 70s because I've heard that question before and you usually say 80s and 90s. So thank you for a 65-year-old asking for 70s because I can answer that one. <laughs> the Eagles. It. The Eagles. Ah, life in the fast lane. What's your favorite? I'm going to go Desperado. I used to know that song on the piano. What's your favorite yeah. Eagles song? Oh, my God. California. Hotel California. Gotcha. If you had, let's go with Pet Tortoise. If you had a Pet Tortoise, what would you name it? Butch. And I have no idea why I said that. <laughs> Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Absolutely not. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Sorry. 
so I, I gotta say, hey, I gotta say the serenity prayer really quick internally. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners, Lisa? You can control your thoughts. Just focus on what you're gaining, not what you're losing. And before we depart, Lisa, give listeners your own. You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you're sneaking bottles out every day to go to the city glass recycling so they don't pile up in your closet. Lisa, fantastic job. I love getting to know you. And thank you for sharing your story with the Recovery Elevator audience. Well, thank you for being there and doing everything that you do to help us. All right. Thank you. Listeners, I want to comment again how Lisa, so Lisa emailed me several months before her interview. She said, hey, can you point me to perhaps some interviews who are a little bit older, perhaps in their 60s? Now, we do have an Excel spreadsheet that tracks the title, the interviewee, their location, release date, but we don't track the interviewee's age, right? So I couldn't tell her which podcasts, but I did say, you know, we have interviewed several people uh, in that age range that you're asking for. But the gangster move that Lisa did, which I love, is she emailed a couple months later and said, you know what? I'm looking for that type of interview. Why don't I be the interview? Why don't I be the person that helps other people in the similar age range or age bracket that I'm in? So I absolutely love that from Lisa. Great job. Now, let's talk about the invitation for a second here. Uh, I was the same as you guys, most likely all of this, who, who label the drinking problem is just that. It's a problem. In fact, uh, drinking problem contains the word problem. It's just contemporaneous. It's unconscious. We feel that, oh, something has malfunctioned. Something has derailed. Something is fucked up, right? But I encourage you, the seed I want to plant with you today is stop labeling things as a problem. One thing I firmly believe is that all emotions are created equal. There are no bad emotions. There are no good emotions, right? You need challenging times in your life to, to appreciate the, the easier times in your life. You need to work hard in life for things to, to have the rewards later. And so that's the same thing with, with alcohol. I feel alcohol is the invitation for us to step into a full rebirth. I did an interview this morning with a gentleman named Matt who, who spoke about this. It's a full rebirth. It's an invitation for you to make sweeping drastic change in your life for the better. I have yet to meet somebody who said, you know what, I quit drinking three years ago and I, I, I regret it. Or the micro of that, I've yet to meet somebody who didn't regret not drinking the night before. That's kind of a mouthful there, but you don't regret not drinking. Another, a better way to say that is you're content, at peace, very happy with your decision to quit drinking. Now, one, one thing I wanna make clear again here, I think it was four or five episodes ago, I did a message to Big Alcohol. That one swirled on my head for a long time. First off, I don't wanna fight Big Alcohol. In fact, I wish I could take back some of the things I said in that in episode, but it's out and I'm okay with that. I think it's fine that alcohol is legal, right? Let's get real, the most dangerous drug in the world is also legal. I was at Thanksgiving and at the table, we're talking about psilocybin on the ballot in Colorado and I think all of this should be legal. Uh, that, uh, that's sweeping, right? But in Portugal, I think in 22 or 23, 2003 or 2002, they legalized everything. I talk about drug cartels. If you illegal, if you legalize more things, you get rid of all their power, right? Um, and then it's monitored, it's centralized, it's safer. And in Portugal, what they found um, is, is, is people are seeking help. It's a safer environment to inject, a safer environment to use these drugs. And they're seeking out treatment and it's a reflection of you can't incarcerate addiction out of people. It just doesn't work. The $40 trillion war on drugs has not worked. So a big alcohol, do your thing. If you're a normal drinker, please drink one for me. But we do need to, we do need to clean up the planet with some trash. That's, that's basically it. And if you want to work with us, fantastic. Um, I think it would be great for big alcohol to work with recovery, to help cleaning up the planet. I do, because I feel it's a collaborative effort. You know, we think that big alcohol is on an island and nobody who works in big alcohol struggles with alcohol or they're benign or, or, or they don't see the challenges that alcohol presents uh, at the societal level. That's not true. I've met, I've interviewed people on this podcast who work in big alcohol. They struggle with alcohol. In fact, it's rife, it's rampant. And I think they, they would agree with that. So I want this to be inclusive, us working with big alcohol. It's the invitation for all of us 
to step into a more authentic life is alcohol. Okay, Recovery Elevator, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here on this uh, on this podcast with us today. I'm talking to you, the listener. This is January 2nd, 2023. January is always labeled as the, 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 the month to get your life back on track, but let's do this. It's January 2. I'm not going to drink in January. That's the goal. I'm going to take it one day at a time. I encourage you to do so as well, but stick with us. Keep listening to this podcast. Please do so. If you track with another recovery podcast, keep listening to that podcast. Put a digital footprint out there. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes. That review will help somebody else who wants to quit drinking, who is just about to embark on this magnificent journey that gives us the potential for a full rebirth in life. Recovery Elevator, I love you guys. We took the stairs down. Nope, let me say that again. Recovery Elevator, I love you guys. We, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. Get it.